Luis is from Mexico City! Viva la Mexico! You know, it's always great to be with the international family of Christ. The kingdom of God. The international kingdom of God. You know, for, visit, for those visiting for the first time, we are a worldwide movement. Worldwide movement of churches that came together, unified with one mind, one heart, one spirit, one purpose, to bring the gospel to every nation in this generation. You know, together, Novella, myself, Carmen and Johnny went to the International College Leadership Seminar. And we learned a ton of lessons of what it means to build the campus ministry. And then next we had the Latin America Missions Conference. Jam-packed with convicting lessons and needed conversations. You know, I, I, I called it my spiritual Sabbath. My spiritual getaway with just me and my God. Even Novella and I were like, okay, we're not going to focus on one another. We're going to focus on the great I am. And together, I'll be honest, coming back full of faith, ready to take on Birmingham. Amen. You know, I'm so grateful to be part of the Birmingham family here today. So grateful to have grown up with you guys, to been with you guys, to make a mistake with you guys, to be humbled by you guys, to be discipled by you guys, to be exposed by you guys, to be hated by you guys. Okay, okay. To be hated by Amen, amen, amen. But learn a lot. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to this conference humble. And God was like, you know what? I'm not, you know that one prayer? You're like, okay, I shouldn't have prayed that prayer. I shouldn't have prayed God make me humble. Because the first day of the conference... There was a gym in, in, in the hotel, which was great. We were staying, staying in the Hilton Reformer. And uh, on the sixth floor, we're like, yeah, we got to get that gym workout in. And of course, you're seeing disciples from all over the globe in that gym. It's just a disciple-filled gym. But what was crazy is that, of course, uh, you know, you had to get leg day out the, day, out, out the way. Uh, and so uh, I was doing leg day. I was doing a drop set. Uh, for those who know what a drop set is, you start with a heavy weight. And then you go until failure. You drop down the weight until there's nothing left. And so I literally, you know, did a, do, doing a drop set. I dropped the weight, a 20 kilogram plate on my left toe. And I, I felt something. I was like, what's going on? I was like, you know what? Let me, let me continue my set. And then because I was wearing a white sock, because I forgot my gym shoes, you know, I, I started seeing my sock go red. I was like, okay, that's not my skin. That's definitely not my skin going red. My sock was going red. I removed it it completely cut the top part of my toe. And I went to the, to the reception and I was like, at the reception of the gym, I was like, hey, I, I need a plaster. And he was like, you mean something for your shoulder? I'm like, no, for my foot, it's bleeding. And then I was like, no, lucky enough, because I knew I would get injury prone, I brought some bandages and antiseptic in my room. So I went up to the lift and then there was a, a, a brother from another church saying, bro, what happened to your foot? And I was like, oh, I dropped a weight on my foot. And he was like, bro, you haven't suffered to the point of shedding blood. And that's in Hebrews chapter 12. I was like, amen, bro. Seeing the scriptures come to life. But, but what ended up happening is that, of course, I got my, my foot patched up and so and so forth, wiped antiseptic and so and so forth. And then I went back down to the gym and finished my workout. Why? Because one brother said to me, coming on the way back, was like, hey, bro, you know, just to give you some motivation, a guy called Lonnie Walker broke his toe in the gym during leg day and still finish his workout. Wow. And he's not even a disciple. Wow. 
So I was convinced. I was like, you know what? I don't care if my toe is in pain. I am finishing my workouts. Because again, conferences aren't just about the sermons or the lessons. It's about the conversations in between. You know, one great conversation, uh, myself and Navella had a lunch with uh, one of the leaders who actually helped set up the conference. And uh, it was one of the sisters. Well, of course, well, the husband was supposed to come, but he, he was completely like filled with like stuff to do, even business meetings as well with other people. And so uh, we were having a conversation. And so um, I was, she was saying some convicting things and I was just sitting like this. And she was like, bro, do you smile? And the first thing I did was, she's like, I'm tired of looking your face, looking so angry. She said, like, she, of course, because she's, you know, Hispanic, she laughs about everything. She's like, she, she said, don't look so angry. And I was like, and the laugh was like the icing on the cake. And I was like, oh, I'm burning inside. Because everything she was, she was saying was so convincing. She was like, yeah, do you smile? Oh. And, I was, and, by the, and I, remember, I remember I made the decision. I said, like, you know what? From today, I'm going to make the decision to smile. Even if I'm, even if I'm not fired up. She's like, you better smile. You better smile. And from that decision on, I was like, I was like I'm going to smile. Because, amen, I know it, I'm the senior of faith here in Birmingham. So if I'm down, everyone else is going to be down. And so I got a smile, amen. And I hope that, hope that as I smile, I hope you guys smile as well, amen. But then another conversation. This, this is the conversation that got me. Not even one conversation, but multiple. I had multiple conversations with like around 10 to 11 different disciples. And, and one disciple was looking at people, because after, you know, being told to smile, I was looking at people who weren't smiling. And I saw this brother who just looked so angry. And I came up to him, I said, bro, you okay? And I found out he was five months old as a disciple. And he told me there was one thing that was hindering his growth as a disciple. He was only five months old. But he, was, he looked so angry and, and bitter at something. And we spoke, because the Bible says the eye is the lamp of the body. Right. And I was asking, I was like, hey, bro, what's going on? And he told me about his relationship with his father. And during the, conversa- during the conference, that was like the second or third conversation I had with a guy or a brother who had an issue with their relationship with their father. And I was like, how can multiple disciples in different churches have the same challenge with a father figure? You know, I believe that the worst pandemic that we're having right now, that there is an attack on father figures. Yet, yet this is the thing. This has been the case since the very beginning. Don't believe me? I'll show you. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. The title of the sermon today is The Fatherless Generation. The Fatherless Generation. The Fatherless Generation. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty the name of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden 
and you must not touch it or you will die. And the church says, you know, what's powerful about this scripture, because I have to remember this, is that God wrote the entire Bible. He makes no mistakes. So what he recorded, even at the very beginning, stands true. Where this scripture says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The meaning of Lord in the Hebrew means Jehovah, which means the existing one. The root word for Lord means to be. It means to exist. But then when the crafty serpent who, who, who signifies Satan spoke to the woman, what did he say? He said to the woman, did God? Where is the word Lord? He removed the existence of God from the view of Eve. And therefore, he removed the existence of a father figure in her view. For a long time, we think that Satan attacked Eve. Satan attacked man. No. Satan attacked the image of a father figure. And you know how she listened? Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God... Where's Lord? Where's Lord? She listened to what Satan said. Listen to the image of a father figure that, 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 that Satan painted. Satan is working on making our generation a fatherless generation. Why? How is a church built? Acts chapter 5. Why is there an attack on father figures? Acts chapter 5. Verse 42. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, and the church says, so how was the church built? From house to house. And who is the head of a household? A father figure. If Satan can attack the father, He can destroy the family. And therefore, if the church is built from house to house and he gets to the father, the church can no longer be built. You know, I want to share some statistics from fatherless homes in the US alone. 63% of youth, young people's suicides are caused because of fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway young people are caused by fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders are caused by fatherless homes. That doesn't necessarily mean the father is absent. They could be emotionally absent as well. Even 71% of high school dropouts are in the houses of those with an absent father. 70% of juvenile and state-operated institutions, that means going to jail, 70% go to jail when they don't have a father figure in their life. Substance abuse, addicted to drugs, 75% of young people are addicted to drugs because because they don't have a father in their life. 
And we, we wonder why gangs are so big in the, in the US. Because that's the only place where people can find father figures or family members. There's unity. There's unity. There is an attack on father figures. There is an attack on what it means to be a father. Satan is confusing fathers on how to be fathers and confusing children on the image of a father. Because if he can do that, it distorts the way we see our heavenly father. Because the way we see our physical, our biological father is closely tied to the way we see our heavenly father because they're the closest image to us of a father. We'll look at every authority figure like our father, whether they were in our life or not. Because then what we'll think, we'll think that God is not listening, that God was absent in our suffering because our physical father wasn't in our life either. And then we can hold our fathers who were in our lives to a certain expectation. And even those authority figures to a certain expectation. The way they respond or a lack thereof. You know, whenever we study the Bible with people, do we ask, how's your relationship with your parents? The first Bible said, do you ask that? How's your relationship with your father? And do you dig? Not just asking the question, do you dig? Because having a father figure is actually super essential. And because Eve didn't have an image of a father figure in view, she no, she no longer saw her self-value. So having a father figure is super important because you no longer see your self-value without the father. How do we know? Genesis chapter 3. Right. Yeah, Genesis chapter 3. When she no longer saw her father figure, she no longer saw her self-value. Insecurity comes from a lack of value in the home. Genesis 3 verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You know what's powerful about this scripture is that the scripture literally states that Satan was like, hey, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. When the scripture already states in Genesis chapter 1, that they were already made in the image of God. She was already made in God's image. Yet now she determined her value because she didn't have a father figure to tell her in her view who she was. She added value to what God already made good. Why? Because the scripture issue states, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. God already made it good. But then she added value to what God already made was good. She added value to what the world gave her. And what Satan gave her. Now she determined her own value. And because she didn't get that value from her father, because Satan took that father figure away, she got insecure. Because Satan removed her father figure from her view. You know, without the existence of a father, statistically, it's actually said that women, sisters, have a lower self-esteem. What can end up happening is that because we don't get words of affirmation or proper appraisal from our father figure, we tend to find our value in other things. 
But not only that, we can become chronic people pleasers and seek an endless need to be accepted because we didn't feel accepted by our father. Especially those of AMS. Getting endless approval through their art, media or sport, as they use their art to express their emotions rather than expressing their emotions to their father. They only feel that their art can understand their emotion. They, 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 they let their, that's why, that's why I'll, be, I'll be honest. That's why people let out their emotions in these mediums because they, couldn't, they, couldn't, they didn't feel safe enough to let it out to their father, suppressing their emotions. So they can only let it out freely in an art where they won't get shut down. Then what ends up happening is that we then cling on to what gives us approval, even at the expense of morality. Because in every person, there's a love tank. If that love tank isn't filled, we try to fill it with other things. You know what's powerful? Because remember, Satan removed the image of a father, but he also removed the image of love. Because God is love. So Satan removed the existence of love from Eve's life. Thus, she tried to fill a love tank with anything but the one true God, the one true Father. What ends up happening is that we begin to get our value in relationships and get clingy because it is the only thing that's giving us value, filling our love tank. So then when they leave, when people leave, our faith and we feel like our love leaves with them. Because as an attack on father figures, we get a false security in what it means to be loved. Even in being accepted and approved. People pleasing. Some can even hide behind servitude to be accepted. Some can even study a whole degree to get accepted that they're not even interested in. All because their love tank is empty. Because it isn't filled with God. With our Father's love. That's why Jesus said in Luke 11, Our Father, who art in heaven. Not my Father. Our Father. Because when there's no Father figure, that's how feminism began. Independent women. That's where a lack of father figure, not because it was anyone's fault, but because Satan, that's Satan's attack, that's Satan's plan. And that's how toxic masculinity began at too. There's no such, because really, I'll be honest, there's no such thing as toxic, toxic masculinity. It's just people have an issue with what real men should be. Because there was no father figure to teach them. So no one knows really what masculinity actually is. Satan's tactics have actually never changed. How do we know? Adam, yes, he was the first man to be created, but he was a terrible dad. How do we know? What did Cain do? He murdered his brother. What kind of example was Adam to his, ch- to his son? Because it, exp- it was exposed in how Cain obeyed God. Even Noah. He was naked in front of his sons. What kind of father figure? He was naked in front of his sons. And his brothers, his sons had to drag him out the tent. 
He was drunk and naked. He was an alcoholic. Despite the fact, yes, using to start humanity again, he was an alcoholic and naked in front of his sons. He abused his sons without even, like, just because he was drunk. Even Abraham to his son Isaac. He lied that his wife was his sister. And guess who repeated the same sin? Isaac! Even in the book of 1 Samuel, Eli was a terrible father. Why? His sons were bringing women into the temple and messing around. Rather than being priests, they were messing around. And Eli was overweight. He was a bad image of a father. And even one of the most successful kings in history, David. Cranking king. Terrible father. His son was Absalom. One of the most rebellious child who wanted to take over the throne. And even Solomon, his son, who even broke up the unity in the kingdom of Israel. Satan's plan has never changed. He's always been attacking father figures from the very beginning. There were great leaders, great kings, but had no example of what it meant to be a father. The fatherless generation. Point number one, who's your daddy? John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Who's your daddy? You know, I want to bring your attention. I want you to bring your attention to something this morning. Satan is a father that doesn't know how to be a father. How do we know? John chapter 8, verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry your father's desires. Carry your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding on to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar. And the father of lies. And the church says. You know, Satan was the rebellious child that never came home. And the scripture states he's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. You know how powerful his lies are? You know how powerful his deceit, like his, because he, he known, he's known as Satan the deceiver. He's so powerful, like his, his deceit is so powerful that he even deceived himself. But this is the thing, we can be so quick to judge Satan. Yeah, we've been deceived by him too. So he's quite talented as a deceiver. You know why? You know why he's, he's such a good deceiver? He fills our love tanks every day. He fills our quality time, love language every day. He gives us words of affirmation every day. Saying you're worthless. Doubt yourself. This is, there's not one true church. Doubt the kingdom of God. Be insecure. You can't be fruitful. You can't get that job. You can't be filled with faith. Satan's he speaks the words of affirmation. Because remember, what's his native language? Lies. But what's so powerful is that we get deceived by those lives. So who's your daddy? Are you believing the words of affirmation from Satan? Or believing the words of affirmation from your father in heaven? 
The question is, who's your daddy? Because we can blame our dads, our physical dads, for not knowing how to be a dad or a loving dad. When the father of this world is Satan. Let me bring your attention to something. The closest image to our family, the closest image of Christ in our family is us. The closest image of Christ in your family is you. You're a disciple, right? So you're the closest image of what Christ is in your family. So the question is, what image of Christ are your family seeing? Are they seeing a conditional love Jesus? Is it that we'll only love them and forgive them if they love us? Is that the Jesus that they're seeing? Because what would end up happening is that we'd be exactly like them to our kids and in our relationships with people. When we love conditionally, we show a false image of Christ. If we love conditionally to our families, then we'll do it to our kids. You know, when was the... Serious question. I asked this question to all the disciples I spoke to about the father figures. When was the last time we said, I love you to our father or parents in the eyes? And said, I love you. 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 When was the last time you said that to your parents? In their eyes. And genuinely meant it. It's very quiet on that point. Because then can you also look them in the eye and say that you want to save him? Or save her, saying, hey, I want to save you, dad. I want to save you, mom. Can you look them in the eye and say that? You know, back in 2015, 2016, I lost three family members in the span of two years. First, I lost my youngest uncle, who was around 44 years old, who promised me he'd come to the UK to play basketball with me and play some PlayStation with me. He died before even fulfilling that promise. Even my, grand, my granddad, that same year, Waking up on Christmas Day, hearing the news that my granddad had died on the 25th of December. Imagine waking up to Christmas Day, super excited just to find out that your granddad had passed away. And then six months later, my grandma passed away. Why do I share this? Vinny Rodriguez, one of the preachers in South America, preached during the conference concerning the rich man in hell in Luke 16, begging for his family to be saved. You know, I believe it was my uncle, my granddad, and my grandma begging in hell, just like the rich man, for me to be saved. To say yes to the sister who reached out to me. Three of them in unison, burning in hell, begging Saying, Joseph, just say yes, please. And then I became a disciple in January, January 2018. <laughs> but then they were also begging me to reach out to my sister, my twin sister, for her to become saved and for her to become a disciple. 
and she became a disciple 22nd of April 2018. And I believe it was the same with Novella. When she became a disciple, though she had lost, was begging her to reach out to Michael, to Claire, and now they're sold out disciples of Christ. And I believe that the wedding of Novella and I could spark something in both our parents, not only to remember their wedding day, but our relatives are begging in hell for us to save our parents and using our wedding day to preach to them, to call them to study the Bible. Come on. The challenge is simple. The rich man went through hell to try and save his family, literally. We need to go through hell to save our family. Because they, just like us, are both sinners in the eyes of God. You know, we can think if they raised us a type of way that they deserve hell. But maybe it's just an issue that we have with forgiveness. And that leads us to point number two. Forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Point number two, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Genesis chapter 50. The fatherless generation. Genesis chapter 50. You know, Genesis chapter 50, or the end part of Genesis covers the story about Joseph. And I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about Joseph in the Bible. Right? I mean, he was well built and handsome. I don't, I don't disagree. I, I, don't, I don't beg to differ with that. No, no, no. I mean, Novella says, Amen, Amen. But to build some context, what happened is that Joseph had a dream. And then he was criticized for his dream. So then his brothers, what they did, they threw him into a cistern, a well, then sold him off to slavery. Then after being sold off to slavery, was falsely accused of sleeping with another man's wife when he didn't. Then got put into jail. Then still helped the cupbearer and the baker be set free from jail and was still in jail. So he was still falsely accused. But then what ended up happening is that he had a vision, he had a dream. The God was like, hey, there's going to be a famine. So then, of course, he told the authorities, hey, there's going to be a famine. Then he was raised up to like second or third in command. And, and now we find ourselves here in Genesis 50 where there was a famine. And his brothers, who threw him into a cistern, threw him into a well in the first place, came to him for food because of the famine. Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. You know, this scripture says, God intended this for good. To accomplish what is now being done. So Joseph, going through this suffering, at many moments may have not seen the purpose behind his pain. The scripture says he only saw it was being achieved now. After years of suffering, after years of being in jail, after years of serving as a slave, after years of being just accused, falsely accused, 
He, he only saw the purpose of his pain then, in that moment, saying what is now being accomplished. You may not see the purpose behind your pain now, but you may see it later. But you know what's powerful about this? Joseph grew up with no dad. He grew up with no dad. How do we know this? Genesis 37 and verse 31 says, Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. Verse 33, his, he recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animals devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his sons many days. For his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. So for years, Jacob, Joseph's dad, thought that Joseph was dead. So he never would reach out to him. So the whole time Joseph grew up with no dad in his life. Yet Joseph was not bitter at God for not having the perfect father figure in his life. He saw the purpose behind his pain. Because if he grew up with a dad in his life, Egypt may have never been saved. If we grew up in the perfect home, we, have may, we may have never found God. You know, I remember 2020, the disciples held a birthday for my sister and I, and my mom and my dad were invited. And then, of course, you know, at a period of time, we, everyone gets asked to share. And my dad was asked to share. And guess what he said? Nothing. When it got to him, he was like, I don't want to share. Now, in the moment, I was like, okay, that hurt a bit. But that night, my dad got open to me. He sent me a text message saying, son, I'm sorry. I've been insecure, deeply insecure my entire life. I wouldn't know what to say or how to say it. I love you. Come on, Joseph. Come on, bro. And I broke to tears. I broke in tears. I broke in tears. Because the whole time, I was assuming things about my dad. Why he was doing what he was doing. Focusing on the things he wasn't doing. Focusing on the things that he hurt me doing. Doing things to hurt me. But deep down inside, he was deeply insecure. Hebrews chapter 12. Come on, bro. Fire. Hebrews chapter 12. This scripture explains why my dad said what he said. In verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father, the Spirit and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. It doesn't mean it was the best. It says as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Yeah. 
Growing up, I was so confused. I was like, why is my mom and my dad not sleeping in the same bed? Why is my mom sleeping in mine and my sister's room? And why is my dad sleeping in his own room? Why is my dad messing around? Why is my mom close to someone else? What is going on? What is going on? And then I became so disconnected, so disconnected from my dad. I was so focused on all of his, all his mistakes and what he didn't do. And I, I, I clearly just looked over the things that he did do, that he did do to try his best to help me. It's like, why am I so focused on things he didn't do? What about all the things that he did? All the things that he did. Because according to this scripture, my dad only loved me as he thought best. That may be all he knows. And he loved me only the way that he knows how to love. And you know how disconnected I was to my dad? I started calling him by his name and called someone else in front of him, dad. I was so disconnected. And the fact that he told me he got insecure, that he was insecure, like, that's why I didn't say anything. Me calling here another man dad in front of him. The whole time of him being insecure. He probably felt so insecure. So insecure. In front of him calling someone else dad. Giving someone else that privilege when they didn't give birth to me. When it was him who gave birth to me. When it was him who raised me, who fed me, who told me how to walk, who told me how to speak. When my dad's dad, my granddad passed away, I never saw him connect or cry. And I wondered why he was disconnected from his emotions even towards me. Why? I probably wondered, but why? Because his dad was probably the same. He, my dad only repeated what he knew. So his dad was probably disconnected. Then he was disconnected to me. And then I'm being, I'm so, I'm so tempted to be disconnected too. You know, the worst thing for a dad is to die thinking that their child hates them. That their son or daughter hates them. That they have resentment. That's the worst thing for a dad on his deathbed to think about is about his son and his daughter hating him. Never telling him in the eye that they love him when he tried his best. Like Jesus said on the cross in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And that's what helped me with my father. I did the same. I was like, Father, I'm gonna forgive him because he doesn't know what he's doing. And neither do I. What helped me to understand and to help me to forgive my father was being a better son, was being a biblical son. He is not the problem. I was the problem, but I was also the solution. My dad is not a disciple. I cannot place unrealistic expectations on my dad. I can't expect a discipleship response from a non-disciple. I can't expect my dad to change when he doesn't know how to change. I'm the only showcase 
of what a disciple is. I'm the only showcase of who Jesus is in the family. In order for him to know how to be a biblical father. And I'm not undermining anything he has done. And I'm not saying he hasn't given all his heart. Because all of us can grow. But in order for him to know what it means to be a biblical father, I needed to be a biblical son. The best way to help our fathers and our mothers is to be biblical sons and daughters. And it starts with forgiving them. I only properly reconciled with my dad when I was two and a half years as a disciple. As a disciple, it wasn't even before. As a disciple. So it's never too late for us to reconcile with our father or our mother. Oh, I wasn't made properly into it. No, 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 no. You're made into a disciple every day. You've got to deny yourself and carry across daily. You've got to remake yourself into a disciple every single day. Remind yourself of the convictions every day. Because we can forget. I have to remind myself. And call, sometimes I still find it hard to call my dad, dad. But I still call him dad. Despite how hard it may be for me. Because if there's no unforgiveness, no matter what stage we are in life, if someone responds the way our father did or didn't, unintentionally, we will respond the same way to them as if they are our father. No matter who we place in front of us. All because of the unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is an impurity of the heart. What's an impurity? An impurity is something that poisons the mind and the heart. So when we don't forgive our father, we put on a filter for the rest of our lives. Until we remove that filter, we will never be able to have a clear view of who God is. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 5, for the pure in heart will see God. If you're blaming God for your suffering, it's because you haven't forgiven your father or your mother or those who hurt you. So forever in your life, you will always have that filter. And you will never be able to see God clearly. We will never be able to see God clearly. And this is the root of all trust issues. Trust issues are forgiveness issues. And it starts within the home. However, what has happened to us is not our fault. Nor it's our father's fault. We can't hold it to our father's fault. We're just living out the consequences of sin. Satan never made Eve disobey God. He made her doubt God. The image of God, doubt that she even had a father, then she disobeyed on her own accord. What has happened to us is not our fault, but our responsibility. My dad not being emotionally connected or being disconnected emotionally is not my fault. Nor is it his fault, but it is my responsibility. Forgiving them isn't about how they respond either, but it's about our hearts changing. It's not about their response. It's about our hearts changing. They may respond to your I love you saying, "Mm, cool. That's okay. At least your heart has changed. The more you'll say it, the more they'll believe it. Maybe you just haven't said it enough to that point where they believe it. Let us deeply examine our hearts this morning. Can we look at our dads in the eye, whether present or not, and say that we want or wanted to save them. Same with our mothers. Lift up the mamas right there. I mean, they did carry us for nine months, amen? If not, the Bible says in Matthew, if we can't forgive, we cannot be forgiven. 
What image of Christ are you portraying? What image of Christ are we portraying? We got to reconcile with our dads, our families, and those who may have hurt us, those who have hurt us. Because if we didn't have a grudge, we'd love unconditionally. We'd actually love like Christ would. We, want, we can want to compare our fathers to other fathers. Yeah, our father needs us. Our fathers need God. We can want to compare our lives to others' lives. But many of them, many of them need us. They need God. Fathers don't know how to be a father without God. So we need to be biblical sons and daughters to showcase the love of God. People don't know how to live their lives without God. They need us more than we need their lifestyle. We need to give our dads a phone call. We need to give our mothers a phone call. We need to give those who hurt us a phone call. We need to give those in the world a phone call who may have hurt us and even those that we're reaching out to and tell them that you love them. Because ever since I did that to my dad, it changed my heart. I will always be grateful that my parents changed my nappies. Because I probably had a lot of garbage. They taught me how to walk. They taught me how to talk. They fed me. They did as they thought and knew best. We are the closest examples of Jesus. Let's not give them a reason to have a distorted image of Jesus. Until we remove the filter on our hearts. Until we remove the filter on our hearts, anyone we place in front of us will remind us of our past. But we have to completely forgive our fathers and those who have hurt us in the past to remove that filter. Because the result of forgiveness will result in abundant fruitfulness. It will. When you forgive, it will result in abundant fruitfulness. Maybe this is the thing that's stopping you from being fruitful. Why? How do, we, how do we know it results in abundant fruitfulness? Exodus 1 verse 6 says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that, all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So because Joseph forgave his brothers and his life, like everyone who hurt him, the next chapter literally said that the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. If Joseph didn't forgive his brothers, we would have never been here today. It was one man forgiving those who hurt him that got us here today. That got us here today. We are the ones to bridge the gap. We became disciples to break the cycle. Us loving our parents conditionally just will repeat that cycle with our kids and our people that we influence and then goes on the cycle. I love my dad now. I've completely forgiven him. Every time he shows me something random on Facebook and him singing karaoke, I give my entire heart. My entire heart. I sometimes have no idea what the, the, the Tagalog is saying, but I'm just like, that looks good. That looks fire. I'm not lying, I'm just giving my entire heart. And for those who may have, don't have their father figure in their life, do the same with the father figure in your life. With the father figure who's in your life. With the father figure who's in your life, because God placed that father figure in your life. Give them your whole heart. Because my dad's still human. He will still sin. But I believe in the scriptures. Love covers a multitude of sin. My love for him covers the multitude of sin he did to me. First Peter 4 verse 8. 
My love for him, the love of Christ, is supposed to outweigh the sin he did to me. Yeah. I no longer play the victim. Awesome. I know I love him. I, I, I'm victorious over my suffering so that he can get to know to love Christ. Because the Bible says in John 13, verse 34 to 35, love one another as I have loved you so that the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. My dad will know the love of Christ. He will get this close to the image of Christ. He will get a touch of Jesus when I love him unconditionally. The challenge is simple. Forgive our fathers or anyone who may have hurt us in the past because there is purpose behind our pain. If that didn't happen, we may have never became disciples. Adam and Eve had the perfect conditions but still messed up. But don't forget, Satan wants to create division in the home so the church won't be built. And it's not about how they respond. It's about our hearts changing. Amen. Amen. Point number three. And our final point. God is the perfect father figure. Luke chapter three. I'll just note these scriptures down for time's sake. Luke chapter three, verse 22. You are my son or my daughter, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. This was God, the father, his quote to his son, Jesus. Jesus didn't baptize anybody. Jesus didn't start a Bible talk. Jesus didn't yet evangelize the world. Yet he knew that he was loved by his father. He was still accepted by his father. So even if you feel like you've done nothing in your life, God has accepted you as a son and a daughter. We don't need to live for anyone's approval. Our father in heaven already approved us when we got baptized. Elijah, you got approved by your father in heaven when you got baptized. Jackie, you got approved by your father in heaven when you got baptized. Leslie, you got accepted by your father when you got baptized. Paula, you got accepted by your father when you got baptized. Anka, you got accepted by your father when you got baptized. Christina, you got accepted by your father in heaven when you got baptized. Michael, Bernard, Josh, Callum, you got accepted by your father in heaven when you got baptized. You got accepted by your father in heaven when you got baptized, Claire. You got accepted by your father in heaven, family, when you got baptized. Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 6, it says, In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship and daughtership through Jesus Christ. God has predestined before time even began to adopt you as your son, as his son and daughter. Isn't that special? Luke chapter 15, 20, God as a father, when he sees you coming home, he would run to you and embrace you. When he saw the prodigal son come back, he ran and embraced him. God is a physical touch God. He's a father to the fatherless and still has motherly traits because he created mothers. John chapter 8, verse 1 to 9, God is a forgiving father. Yet having a father figure again is super essential. God loves us as his daughters and his sons. And in doing so, he would treat you as a father should. Because I just told you all the loving traits of a father, but we also need to accept the discipline of our father. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 5, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciple the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son and daughter. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as, chil- treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true, and sons and daughters at all. Write these scriptures down. Discipline from a father is necessary. 
Proverbs 22 verse 6 and the AMP version says, Train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 23 verse 13, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with a rod, they will not die. Remember, Satan has attacked the image of what a father figure is. So for some fathers don't even know how to be fathers. So, they, so probably some of them don't even know how to discipline properly. That's probably because their fathers treated them the same. So they don't know how to administer discipline. And some don't, then don't even administer discipline. Because they want not administer discipline by their father. You know, the way I got disciplined was this. Like my mom did this to warn me. And then when she actually was getting ticked off, she twisted it. And then if she really got ticked off, she pulled me. Even one time she took, she was like, hey, pick a weapon of choice. She chose a hanger, a wire hanger. And the edge hanger got stuck in my leg. But the scripture states, you won't die. You know, I'm, 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 still, I, I get, I'm still alive. Discipline isn't beating to death. It's not beating to death. It mean, you know what discipline actually means in the Greek? Training. It means training. Some of us, you know, this is what's crazy. Because God is our Father, some of us may, mean to, may need to be disciplined right now. Even as a disciple, because we didn't get a disciple enough by our human fathers. God is just treating you like his child. Proverbs 22 verse 15. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline, not words, physical discipline will drive it far away. We live in a time, we live in a time where kids are now telling parents how to parent them. However, the scripture states, that a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. So them telling how to, a parent how to parent is foolishness. But the scripture says it's physical discipline that will drive it far away. Proverbs 13 verse 24 in the NLT. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. So if you love your child, take that rod of correction and beat it into your child. Children need discipline. I know it's a very odd way to be loved, but it's biblical. You know, we have to have a mindset. We have to have a biblical mindset on who a father is. The challenge is simple. Study the Watch Your Dad Like Bible study for your quiet times. For those visiting for the first time, I encourage you too to study out the same Bible study. Because imagine, just imagine, church. Imagine a church who knows who's their daddy. Who, who, who is a, like imagine a church that's a forgiving church and sees God as the perfect father figure. Imagine a church that sees the purpose behind their pain. Because when one of us wins, we all win. In closing, there's this one brother I had time with. I'm not going to share his name, but he's, I see him as one of my sons of the faith now. Who asked, who asking me what I've learned from the Birmingham church, what is the importance of a father figure? He is now booked a trip to go to Colombia to go see his father in person. Just to tell him, I love you. 
Because the whole time, he was struggling with his faith. But it was this one thing that Satan has, has attacked from the very beginning. Birmingham Church, the lessons you have helped me teach, or have, have helped teach me, are now making a global impact. Without the Birmingham Church, I would have never reconciled with my dad. Without the Birmingham Church, I wouldn't have been used to help the people in, in, in a global impact. Because of you guys. Because of you guys. You guys have helped me reconcile with my dad. And all I want to say is, thank you. You guys have helped many sons and daughters reconcile with their fathers all across the globe because of what you've taught me to teach them. It's you, Birmingham Church. That's who you are. Building a church doesn't, require, doesn't just require building blocks, but a solid foundation and maintenance. Yes. Satan doesn't want the church to be built. His plan and strategy has been the same from the very beginning about building a fatherless generation. Even with our sin separating a son from his father on the cross. And he will still do whatever it takes to stop the church being built. And it starts from our homes. Let's examine our relationships with our fathers and those who've hurt us. Let us reconcile. Let's be biblical sons and daughters helping bridge the gap in this lost generation. Knowing who's our daddy, forgiving and reconciling with those who have hurt us and they do not know because they do not know what they're doing and understand that God is the perfect father figure. I love you. And to God be all the glory.